Well, good morning once again. We're going to begin our lesson today in 2 Timothy chapter 1, noticing verse 7. Here we simply read, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I'd like us to focus our time this morning on this phrase that Paul uses, this idea of a spirit of fear. That is indeed the title of our lesson. When we think about fears, we think about other words as well that often correlate with the word fear, maybe anxiety or something of that nature, worry. And we all have fears and anxieties and worries, don't we? Some different than others, some maybe more obscure than others. If you've ever looked into a book of phobias, there's some pretty strange things that people are afraid of. Fear of uh, wide open spaces, fear of enclosed spaces. There's just pretty much anything you can imagine. Somebody out there has a fear of that particular thing. We notice in that verse that God has not given us a spirit of fear. He does not want us to go through life being afraid. And so, over the course of our lesson, we're going to be considering how can we deal with fears when they arise in our life? What does God's word teach us about the appropriate approach to times where we're worried or anxious about something? Because undoubtedly, even if we don't have some kind of obscure phobia, we all have similar experiences in life where maybe we have lost someone or something that is dear to us. Or we go through a period where we are struggling with our health or dealing with caring for someone close to us who is having some trouble that way. We all at times have doubts arise in our hearts, maybe pertaining to our faith in God and our commitment to Christ. And all these are fears that God gives us solutions to. We're going to see that over the course of our lesson. You know, fear is one of Satan's greatest commodities. He thrives on us being afraid or worried or anxious, because when we dwell on those things, typically the end result is we get pulled further and further away from where we ought to be in regards to our spiritual walk. We stop trusting in God. We stop depending on God. Maybe we even blame God at times for some of the things that we're struggling with. If we stop and think about it, there's a number of different things that Satan will use to cause us to be fearful or anxious. We had mentioned the concept of loss a few moments ago. We fear losing things, don't we? And that's why there's a whole market for prevention of loss. Matt knows all about that. He works in the insurance field, right? We get insurance to protect us in case 
we lose something in some kind of accident, maybe even our own lives, right? We get life insurance so that we can think about protecting our loved ones if something were to happen to us. We can think about the things that we own physically, our cars or our homes. A lot of people get security systems in their houses. Why do they do that? Well, they're afraid of losing their stuff, right? They don't want someone to break in and steal their things. And so there's a whole market for playing off these kinds of anxieties where we fear losing things. And sometimes we can get very wrapped up in that to the point that uh, we aren't focused on the most important things like we ought to. What about condemnation? You know, Revelation 12 and verse 10 Satan there is referenced as the accuser of the brethren. Satan wants us to feel guilty and ashamed, and he wants us to feel so ashamed and guilty that we we don't feel as though there's a way out. That's, That's his ultimate goal. He wants to keep accusing us, to keep reminding us of how sinful and and terrible we are to the point that we reach the conclusion, well, how could God ever save someone as terrible as me? And we just wallow in that misery. What about pain? We all fear pain. I think that's a, a healthy thing, right? We don't like it when we are hurting. So we often take steps to try and prevent pain as much as possible. Change. Who here has ever gone through changes in their life? (laughs) There's pretty much one consistent truth in regards to our existence here, and that's that things always change, right? And some people go to great lengths to try and prevent things from changing. And I think about working in the IT field, and Dave can relate to this. Anytime there's some kind of change, what happens with people? Oh, ah, what do we do, right? How are we supposed to cope with this? Everything was just perfect the way they had it. Why do they have to go and change that, you know? And we get so uh, stressed out in regards to change. What about the unknown? We fear the unknown, don't we? That's why so many people are afraid of the dark. Because when it's dark and you can't see, well, what was that noise, right? And we... We're afraid of maybe pain or loss as a result of whatever that is out there in the darkness that we can't see or perceive. So uh, Satan plays off all of these things in our lives, and he wants us to, to dwell on these kinds of things to the point that we lose hope and we lose our faith. We have to learn to trust God, and we have to learn to understand that God gives us solutions to all of these things. As we bring that list back up again, we could go right down through there and notice scripture that speak to each of these anxieties that we sometimes deal with. What about loss? Well, over here to Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus talks about our earthly needs. And he acknowledges, look, God knows that you have needs of certain things, whether it's food or clothing, as he talks about specifically here. And so he says, don't worry, saying, well, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? 
He says, after all these things the Gentiles seek. And of course, his audience at this time was primarily Jewish people. And so he speaks of the Gentiles in the sense of those that would be um, outside of the promises of God, not knowledgeable of his will. And so we could correlate that in our modern day and age to those that would be outside of the church or those that would be not uh, seeking God or having a relationship with him. He says that's what those people worry about and stress about. But he reminds us again, your heavenly father knows that you need all of these things. And so he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added to you. Notice that. If we keep our focus on what is most important, which is God's kingdom, the church, and working righteousness, which is what we're called to do, what we're created to do, then Jesus says, these other things will be taken care of. It doesn't mean that we're going to necessarily be rich and just have an abundance always. But we will have the things that we need. As we think about uh, this playing on loss, one of the things I think is prominently seen in our society today, just about every time you turn on the news, you hear somebody talking about climate change, right? We kind of touched on this in our class Wednesday. But what is that playing on? It's playing on our fears, right? Oh, if we don't do something, the planet's just going to burn up. And then the next day, well, the planet's going to turn into an ice cube. And it just fluctuates depending on (laughs) what they want to focus on because the data never is consistent with what they're pushing and causing hysteria about. But the Bible gives us an answer to that too, that specific thing. I just wanted us to note that. Genesis 8 and verse 22, and David highlighted this again on Wednesday. God made a promise here to Noah and really to all of mankind, but he was speaking specifically to Noah and to his sons as they came off the ark. He says, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night shall not cease. And it's been consistent up to this point, hasn't it? There's been fluctuations as far as the temperature of the planet, and sometimes it's hotter, sometimes it's colder. But there's still summer and winter. There's still day and night. There's still seed time and harvest. And so we need to trust God and not get caught up in this hysteria that is often pushed in our society. What about condemnation? Well, we have assurance from God in regards to feeling condemned, we have a a way to feel confident in something better for all eternity through Christ. Notice what John writes here in 1 John 2, noticing verses 3 through 6, and we'll jump down to verses 28 and 29. He says, by this we know that we know him, referring to Christ. If we keep his commandments, he who says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. So we can know that we are in Christ. We can know that we have security, in other words, based upon our faith. Is our faith an obedient faith? Are we responding to the instruction we're given? He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. And down in verse 28, notice he says, Now, little children, abide in him. And we just saw how we do that, right? That when he appears, when that day of judgment comes, we may have confidence. Notice that. 
and not be ashamed before him at his coming. We can live in such a way, if we're faithful, that we can look forward. You go to 2 Peter chapter 3, and that's exactly the language that Peter uses there as he talks about that day of judgment. And even despite everything being burned up and destroyed, he says we look forward to these things. Why? Well, because we can have confidence if we are following his commandments that when he returns, we're going to go to be with him. It's not going to be a fearful thing, but rather a a day of rejoicing. If you know that he is righteous, verse 29, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. What about pain? When we trust in God, there might still be pain. In fact, there will be pain. We might as well just be blunt about it. There's no beating around the bush. We are going to go through painful times. But the wonderful thing is that God has promised to give us strength to endure whatever pain we might experience. In Psalm 56 and verse 11, the psalmist says, In God I have put my trust. And so he says, as a result of that trust in God, he says, I will not be afraid. And he asked a question. And, of course, we usually go to the account in Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6, where the Hebrew writer references this passage. But he asked the question, what can man do to me? And you stop and think about that and just ponder that. What can man really do to us? Well, the worst thing, maybe the worst possible scenario is, well, they take our life, right? But for a Christian, that's really not a terrible thing. If we're, if we're living right, like we just talked about, we have something far better to look forward to. In 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 16, Paul reminds us here, he says, We do not lose heart, even though the outward man is perishing, even though there might be pain that we're dealing with. He says the inward man, the spirit, the soul, is being renewed day by day. What about change? You know, change is a lot easier to deal with if we are anchored or grounded in the one who does not change. There is only one thing that does not change, and that is God. And, of course, his word, as a result, coming from him. We can rely and trust on these things. We can build a foundation on these things so that even though things are changing around about us, we have something secure to hold on to. In Hebrews 13 and verse 8, the comment is made there that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. In Malachi 3 and verse 6, God himself says, I am the Lord, I do not change. And we can see that consistency. It's one of the reasons God has preserved his word as he has, so that we can study it and we can see down through the course of time God is consistent. We don't have to fear the unknown if we are trusting in the Lord. John chapter 6, we have an account here where we find the disciples go out on a boat and some difficulty arises. Verse 16 beginning, it says, When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. They got into the boat and they went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. And in verse 18, it says, The sea arose because of a great wind that was blowing. And so when they rowed about 
three or four miles, suddenly it says they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. Now, you go to the other accounts, the other gospel writers, and they give a little more detail about what was going through their mind there. You remember that they were thinking, well, why is there a what appears to be a person walking on the sea? It, it must be a ghost, right? It must be some kind of spirit, and they were terrified. Not only are they dealing with this storm, but now they're seeing ghosts out here walking on the sea. And you can only imagine the kinds of things racing through their minds. And it's all based on the unknown, right? Well, what is this? What does this mean? And they're fearful. But he said to them, verse 20, And is I, do not be afraid. And they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Jesus reminds us that in the face of the unknown, we cannot be afraid if we have a relationship with him and know him. In chapter 12 of the same gospel account there, verse 46, Jesus says, I've come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. We talked about earlier how that one of the reasons we fear the unknown, or rather one of the reasons that we fear the darkness is because we can't see what's out there. Jesus gives us light. He casts away darkness and doubt. In 1 John 3 and verse 2, there's a lot of things we don't know. We recognize that in relation to you know, what's, what's going to really happen when Jesus returns. And we're given details about some things, but what it's going to be like and you know, what that spiritual body is going to be like, you know, we can't really comprehend that, right? And John is kind of alluding to that here. He says, Beloved, we are now children of God, but it's not yet been revealed what we shall be. There's some unknown in regards to those things, but we do know enough is kind of the point that he's making here. We know that when he is revealed, we are going to be like him. And we're going to see him as he is. And so the details we do have are sufficient for putting aside any fear or anxiety we might be feeling. We know that it's going to be glorious beyond our imagination when that day finally comes, if we are faithful. Some things that we need to do in addition to trusting in God, I guess maybe we might think of it in the sense of, well, how do we trust God or how do we develop that trust in God? Well, the first thing is making sure that we are immersing ourselves in the Word of God. How can we know about His promises? How can we know about the things that we've just been studying if we don't take the time to read what he's revealed to us. His word is the primary source through which we learn about who he is and his will for us and his promises to us. In Proverbs 3 and verse 13, it says they're happy. We might contrast that with fearful or anxious. You know, if you're feeling those kinds of emotions, you're not feeling happy, are you? You're feeling the opposite. So, Happy is what we want to feel, joyful, right? Who is the happy man? Well, it's the one who finds wisdom, the one who gains understanding. You'll notice in chapter 15 and verse 33, what does wisdom teach us? Teaches us what? The fear of the Lord, respect and reverence for God. 
It says, before honor is humility. When we are humble and we approach God reverently and absorb the things that he has revealed for us to know, then we can find joy. We can find happiness. And Psalm 119 and verse 130, again, as we think about this concept of darkness and the unknown and the fears that we face, notice the entrance of your words, what does that do? It gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. We need to pray always. So easy for us to forget to pray sometimes, it seems. I don't know why that is. I guess it's just one of the ways that Satan deceives us into thinking, well, God already knows, right? We don't need to bother God. Or instead of praying, let's go tell everybody we know about whatever it is, or let's just sit and wallow in our misery. But we need to use prayer always, not just in times of difficulty, of course, but in times of, of peace as well, but especially as we are dealing with fears and, and anxieties. Notice in 2 Samuel 22 and verse 7, we read here, In my distress I called upon the Lord, I cried out to my God, and notice he heard my voice from his temple. My cry entered his ears. God cares and is receptive to our prayers when we are dealing with difficulty, so long as we are praying and living acceptably. 1 Thessalonians 5 reminds us of verse 16 beginning, to rejoice always, to pray, notice, without ceasing, in everything to give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. you probably anticipated Philippians 4 being thrown in there. Verses 6 and 7, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the result will be that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We can have peace if we will pray. Finally, Second Chronicles 5, verse 18, here we read about the sons of Reuben, the Gadites, it says the Gadites and half the tribe of Manasseh had 44,760 valiant men, men who were able to bear shield and sword, to shoot with the bow. They were skillful in war and who went to war. They made war with the Hagrites, Jeter, Naphish, and Nudab, and they were helped against them. Notice this is the part I want us to focus on. You might be wondering, well, why are we reading about these guys, right? They were helped against these enemies they were fighting against, and the Hagrites were delivered into their hand, and all who were with them, why? For they cried out to God in the battle, and he heeded their prayer, why? Because they put their trust in him. We put our trust in God, and we cry out to God, he will hear, and he will answer. We need to learn to be optimistic. That's easier said than done. But we are given instruction as to how to develop that way of thinking. It's not like we can just walk out of the building if we're just a negative Nancy and just always looking at the, uh, you know, the negative side of things. Just say, well, yeah, I'm just going to start being positive. Well, okay, great, but you're going to find that that's, it's difficult 
But the Bible gives us instruction as to how to develop ways to think more optimistically and focus on the proper things. In 2 Corinthians 4, notice the attitude of Paul. Now, he's certainly here in this passage, he's talking about openly some very negative things. But at the same time, he's also highlighting that, yeah, this is terrible, but it's not as bad as it could be, we might say. He says, we're hard-pressed on every side, yet we're not crushed. Yeah, we're, we're dealing with some difficulty here, but it's not to the point that we're just completely defeated. We might be perplexed at times. Why is this happening? What's the meaning of that? You know, why are, why are all these events taking place in my life the way they are? And did I do something wrong? You know, sometimes we just are perplexed. But he says, and all this is rooted in the fact that, of course, they're in Christ. Keep that in mind. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're not at the point where we're just, well, all hope is lost and we might as well just give it all up and just throw in the towel. He says, we're persecuted, but We're not forsaken. We're dealing with some pain, but God has not abandoned us. We at times are struck down, but again, he says we are not destroyed. And that's really, I think, one of the key things. If you want to think about, well, how can I be more optimistic? It's okay to recognize, yeah, I'm dealing with some difficult things. And these things maybe are making me anxious and they're making me fearful. But if we can... Remind ourselves once we, you know, get that all out there that, you know, it could be worse. You know, we still have A, B, C, D, and the list goes on to be thankful for. That's how you start to develop that way of thinking. Philippians 4 and verse 8, Paul, uh, picking up from where we were a moment ago, talked about praying and Uh, the peace of God that passes understanding. He says then in the next verse, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true or noble or just or pure, things that are lovely, things that are of good report, if there's any virtue or anything praiseworthy, he says, meditate on these things. Now, what do we often meditate on? Things that are not those things, right? We sit and we dwell on those types of things. And I've often made the comment, you turn the news on and you're not going to get good reports, (laughs) right? You're going to get bad reports and you're going to hear about all kinds of terrible things that are happening. And while it's not sinful for us to be informed and to be aware of things that might be going on, if we spend all of our time dwelling on that, I think about people that get caught up in politics, right? And are they generally very happy? No, (laughs) they're not, right? It's, It's always... I can't believe he did that. We need to get somebody in there that knows what they're doing. And it's just always grumbling and complaining and highlighting all the idiocy that's taking place in our leadership in this country and things of that nature. Again, it's not that we should just live in a, you know, dark cave somewhere and, and be little hermits that don't go out and interact with anybody or, or the world around us. That, that defeats the mission of being the light of the world. But As far as what we meditate on and and focus on, we have to learn to filter out the negative. Colossians 3.2, if we have died with Christ and been raised with him, is what verse 1, to paraphrase, talks about. He says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. 
Now, I like Proverbs 4 and verse 23, and I like the way that the New International Version renders this. I think it makes it a little easier to understand what he's saying there. But it says, above all else, guard your heart. We know that when the Bible speaks of the heart, typically, we're talking about our mind, our intellect, right? And so above all else, guard, we might say, your minds. For notice he says, everything you do flows from it. What you entertain here is going to affect everything that happens, everything you do, everything that you say. And so we have to guard, you see, our minds. And that includes uh, putting the focus on the right things. Final point this morning, as we think about how can we make sure that we are trusting God in the light of the various fears that come our way, Always measure the size of your fears against the size of your God. And if I could think of any better way to conclude the lesson, I I guess I should say I can't think of a better way to conclude than with that thought in mind. Let's come back to Psalm 18 for a moment. Psalm 18. We'll read just a portion of this particular psalm. And I like this section of scripture because the psalmist here is highlighting the fact that despite obstacles that often are presented before us in our pathway, with God we can always overcome those things. With God he gives us the ability to be successful because God is greater than the boogeyman. It's the old, what's that, Veggie Tales song? Most of us are probably too old for that. Anyway, verse 28, let's start there. We'll read down through verse 36. He says, You will light my lamp. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop. By my God I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. For who is God except the Lord? Who is a rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of of the deer and sets me on my high places. He teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze He says, you have also given me the shield of your salvation. Sometimes we don't think about salvation as a shield, but it really is. It's it's what guards us against despair, that, that hope of eternity, right? He says, your hand has held me up. Your gentleness has made me great. You enlarged my path under me so that my feet did not slip. I'd like us also to notice 1 Samuel chapter 17, a portion of this narrative here. Some of you probably know what that is. But this is the account here of David versus Goliath. And that's, I think, a very fitting analogy. It's been used many, many times over the course of time as people think about obstacles and giants that we face today often in connection with fears and anxieties and these kinds of things that we've been talking about. But we see here with the mindset 
the mentality of David as he approached this, we might say, impossible task by all human estimation. How's this little young lad going to go up against this giant man of war who's been trained from the time of his youth to do nothing but kill his enemies? How's that going to go? Probably not well. (laughs) And, you know, Saul was doing everything he could to try and prevent David from going out there because he's thinking, you don't you don't stand a chance against this guy. So let's pick up in verse 40 of the text there. We'll read down through verse 47. It says that David took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and he put them in his shepherd's bag and a pouch which he had. And he took his sling that was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was just a youth, and he's ruddy and good-looking. Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? You know, Is this some kind of game you're trying to play here? Philistine cursed David by his gods. Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. But David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you, and I will take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And he sure did, didn't he? You see, the power of faith had nothing to do with David's physical ability to go and fight against this guy. It had everything to do with the fact that he trusted in God's ability to deliver him through that ordeal. And the same is true with whatever giants, whatever fears or worries that we stress about in our modern day and age. We can overcome those things the very same way David did. The battle belongs to the Lord. Mark 11 and verse 22, Jesus highlights this very same truth. Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, sometimes our fears and anxieties, they seem like mountains, don't they? How are we ever going to deal with this? How are we ever going to get get across this? But whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, Jesus says he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you will receive them, And you will have them. Sometimes I wonder if perhaps the reason that we struggle so much is because we doubt too much. You read the the confidence that Jesus expects of us, and sometimes maybe we kind of in the back of our minds have a little more doubt than we'd like to admit. You know, will God really help me with this? Is there really a way out of this situation? I'll pray about it, but I don't know. (laughs) know, Sometimes that's kind of the way we're thinking. But Jesus says, have faith in God. Remember that God is bigger than whatever obstacle you are dealing with. Hope that the thoughts that we've 
studied together this morning have been beneficial to you? One final passage I'd like us to look at, one final verse in Isaiah 41, verse 10, that we'll read together and then the lesson will be yours. God is speaking here and he says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And those spoken to people that we never knew hundreds, thousands of years ago, the same promise rings true for God's people today. God will help us. He will uphold us if we are faithful to him. Perhaps this morning there's someone here who has been dealing with anxiety in their life. And if there's somebody here who that is the case, needs prayers, needs encouragement, we'd love to assist you with that. We're about to sing this song of encouragement, and if you would come forward and express those needs to us, we'd love to spend time praying with you and giving you a hug, giving you a pat on the back, whatever is needed, whatever we can assist you with to help you along. That's why we are here as the family of God, to be a family. If you're here this morning and you recognize, as we've noted throughout the lesson, that all these promises and these assurances are found in one place, and that's in Christ, and you're not in Christ. You need to be put into Christ. We can likewise assist you with that process this morning as well. We have water that is prepared and ready to go. We can immerse you this morning for the forgiveness of your sins so that you can be added to the Lord's church. And you can have confidence in your life knowing where you are headed. Whatever we might be able to assist you with this morning, we would just again ask you to let those things be known by coming up to the front. Do so now while we stand and sing the song that's been selected.